Behold, I did break my bow, which was made of fine steel. 1 Nephi chapter 16, verse 18. Hey listeners, this is Nick from Book of Mormon Central. And today's podcast addresses the question, Why did Nephi's fine steel bow break? While traveling through the wilderness, Nephi recounts that his family stopped for a hunting expedition. Nephi went forth to slay food, but did break his bow, which was made of fine steel. The reference to Nephi's steel bow recalls several biblical passages which reference a bow of steel. He teacheth my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken in mine arms. He shall flee from the iron weapon, and the bow of steel shall strike him through. The word translated steel in these passages is a Hebrew word which actually means bronze and is rendered that way in more recent translations. The King James translation as steel reflects an older, broader range of meaning, which included not only carburized iron, which we would call steel today, but also hardened copper alloys, such as bronze. This broader meaning of steel is also shared with other European languages. The Book of Mormon translation may have also used this broader meaning for steel, thus indicating that Nephi's fine steel bow was similar to a bow of bronze or steel mentioned in the Bible. According to Frank Moore Cross and David Noel Friedman, the bronze bow in biblical passages does not refer to a bow made entirely of metal, but instead probably refers to a composite bow bound and or inlaid with bronze. Such bows could be decorated or reinforced in certain parts, usually the upper limb, knock, and grip, with bronze. More common composite bows were made from a wooden base, animal horn, and sinew. These materials were bound and glued together to form an integrated body, shaped into a double convex form that was powerful enough to fire arrows which could effectively pierce objects from 300 to 400 meters away. It was also smaller and less heavy than regular bows. They were very effective and feared in warfare, but were difficult and expensive to make. For a considerable period after the composite bow was introduced, it remained primarily a weapon of royalty. Relatively few composite bows have survived from the ancient Near East. Before the discovery of King Tutankhamun's tomb, only ten of these were known. But amidst the treasures of Tutankhamun's tomb, twenty-seven composite bows were found. Although some of the weapons were purely ceremonial, the majority of the weapons could have been usable. One of these, the so-called Bow of Honor, was beautifully decorated with gold sheathing on the grip, lower, mid, and upper arms as well as the tips of the weapon. Howard Carter, who first discovered and excavated the tomb, described it as a work of almost inconceivable fineness, reminding us of Nephi's description of his own bow of fine steel. According to W. McLeod, Tutankhamun's bow of honor could have been strung and used. It is reasonable to suppose, based on the biblical references to a bow of bronze, that the same could be done with bronze either for decorative purposes or to strengthen parts of a composite bow without substantially increasing the weight. Understanding that Nephi's bow was likely not fully made of steel or bronze, but rather a composite bow with steel or bronze sheathing, is significant for understanding how Nephi's bow could break in the Arabian wilderness. William J. Hamlin, an authority on ancient Near Eastern warfare, noted, Composite bows have a specific structural problem, that leaves them susceptible to changes in temperature and climate, 
which may cause the bow to warp and break. Thus, if Nephi's bow were of a composite type, this move from the more temperate climate of Palestine to the dry heat of the Arabian Peninsula could have contributed to the risk that his bow might warp and break. In addition, such bows might break at points where the stiffer metal ended, creating pressure points when the wood or more flexible materials were pulled back. Beyond such environmental physical factors, however, are the spiritual lessons Lehi's family needed to learn from such an incident. As Alan Goff noted, the message of the broken bow is that the Lord's people can't rely on the arm of the flesh, but must rely on the arm of the Lord. When Nephi's bow broke, Laman, Lemuel, and even Lehi began to murmur against the Lord. After Nephi built a new bow and arrow, he asked his father where he should hunt, a gesture that humbled Lehi and got him to inquire of the Lord. In response to his inquiry, Lehi was prompted to look upon the Liahona. It was from this occasion that Nephi learned that the pointers in the Liahona did work according to the faith and diligence and heed which we did give unto them, and thus, by small means, the Lord can bring about great things. Nephi gave heed to the pointers in the Liahona, which pointed him to where he could find food, and he returned to camp bearing beasts which he had slain, compelling his family to further humble themselves before the Lord. Nephi and his family learned the lesson taught by the psalmist, For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me, but thou hast saved us. In God we boast all the day long, and praise thy name forever. Book of Mormon readers today could learn from Nephi's example. When things go wrong or unexpected obstacles get in the way, instead of murmuring and complaining, it can become an opportunity to put one's trust in the Lord, rather than relying in the arm of the flesh. Thank you for listening. To find out more, please visit bookofmormoncentral.org and then click on Know Why.